Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Uh, we went over the first calls, and we've talked about the word call in this. You are called, first off, to be loved. That was a big week that we finally get it right. You're not called to first do. You're not called to first even love God. You are first to be loved by God. That's your first call. To be loved means you have to take a vulnerable position. You have to have a repository within your heart that could be filled with God. You have to create a capacity to let that love inundate your life. We have so many restrictions in us to the simple flow of love, not just from God, but from each other. So many people are living within an abundance of love around them, but they cannot, in, they cannot engage with it. They do not have the capacity within the heart to let that love just kind of come in and for them to interact with that love and begin to build what that love was always intended to build. That speaks to you about basic condition you have with God. And it's, you cannot really go forward in faith without having this first call honored in your life. I mean, it's a lifelong call. It's a lifelong learning to let God love you, to know that that is your first call. The second call we talked about was that you're called to belong. That life is not uh, just an individual journey. Life is not just you going from cradle to grave with your own dreams and aspirations, but rather that in the purpose of God, you're called to be a part of something much bigger, much larger than just your life. Your life was always meant to be bonded together with, of course, God. But in doing so, you are bonded together with God's people. You cannot separate those two bonds. You cannot say, I wish to be bonded with God, but I do not wish to be bonded with Christ's people. I love Christ. I don't love his church. These two things don't work. It doesn't wash. It, it's, there's no way it can happen. The true love of God in your heart is a love that goes out parallel to those around you. And we drive ourselves, push ourselves to learn how to connect. We push through the barriers that we've got, whether from our formation or experiences, our families of origin. We push through all of those deals to learn to interact with love. So the first two are really about love. The idea that you are called to be loved by God before you could ever really love God. And then to move into belonging, where you learn that love is something that is only really a complete package when it's not just this idea of it's God and me. No, it's God and you and his church throughout the centuries. People of faith, you are bonded to these folks. You are in the same family. You are called to be a part of the family of God. You belong there because you have the DNA of Christ's blood in your life. And so there's that belonging. Now, 101 tonight is tied to this particular one of belonging. And so we're going to be having that at 4 o'clock. Uh, if, you're, if you're already registered, great. I look forward to seeing you there at 4. We'll have a dinner part of that also, but at 8 o'clock you'll be done. And it's sort of just a big swipe at this in a, in a deeper understanding and taking it to a commitment level. If you're not signed up for that, you still have time to register for that. You can do that uh, online or just immediately following the service. Today we're going to talk about another, you know, uh, can we say call. It is the third call in your life. There There are a total of five, and we're going to talk about the third one now. You are called to become. I don't know about you when you were a kid, but every time you were about 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, you were probably asked by a lot of adults around you, so what do you want to become when you grow up? And probably what you said at 8 or 9 is not what probably happened. It's probably quite different than that. And it probably looks, in fact, significantly different than that. Maybe you knew at eight or nine or 10, but you would be the rarity. What do you want to become? 
When we think about becoming, we're always thinking about the practice of doing. How am I going to apply my skills and my gifts? Uh, What kind of skills and gifts do I wish I had? So we get these kind of false starts on what becoming is. Becoming is really something far deeper than just the application of skills or or gifts that will define you. In fact, when you take a look at becoming, this is about actually learning how to be what God has made you to be. It's an aspect of maturity. So it's not just enough just to become a Christian. Now you are on a path of becoming something. What are you becoming? You are becoming like Christ, according to the scriptures. Now each of these three calls we covered so far, they build upon each other. First, you have to uh, come to the call to be loved. You've got to start honoring that call in your life. Create greater capacity for that to happen. Wrestle the things out of the way that resist just allowing God's love into your life. Secondly, you need to honor the call to belong. That you are not here just to be one selfish little clod in this world who ends up performing their own act on some stage that doesn't have any eternal value to it. But that you are called to something far greater and far more extensive by belonging to his family. You belong there because of Christ's blood and work in your life. And third, as a believer, you are called to become like Christ. One of the theme verses for this series is Romans 8, 28 and 29, which says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called, there's that word, and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become, there's that word, become like his son so that his son Jesus would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. So my third calling in life is to become like Christ. Now what does that look like? Well, it's gonna be deeply challenging. Let's just walk our way through some things that I'm going to lay out for you. And some of you in the next few minutes could be wondering, when are we gonna start filling in the rest of the blanks? We're gonna be doing that quickly at the end of this. But first you've got to understand the process. You've got to understand what underlies the becoming. See, when we talk about being like Christ, we have to start at a point that says, God is God and I'm not. You cannot mature past your understanding or application of that point. If you are in a deity struggle with God, which is very easy for us to be in, is it not? If you're in a deity struggle with God, it's very difficult to move on with God because two cannot be God. One can only be God. There can only be one true God in your life. All other challenges, including just you, are not things you want on the throne of your life. God is God and you're not, but God wants you to become godly. God really is wanting you to become like him. He's, he, he, he's made you to belong in his family by the work of Christ. And now he is working a deeper work of becoming in your life. In the scriptures, we read about in one part the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, are, there's nine of them that are, lifted, that are listed. Things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, temperance, and faith. And these fruit identify the character of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but any one of those that you want to park on is going to become deeply challenging if you meditate long enough or deep enough upon it. Because you're going to measure your position where you are really at in this. Ah, patience, boy. You see, what Christ's work does is he he exalts us to this high position by his grace of being having this perfect righteousness that is a gift from him. And then we go and we live and we can really see where we fall short of that. But it is the fruit of the spirit that we want, not just human effort to try to close gaps. And so that means there needs to be a beautiful partnership and surrender in our life where the Holy Spirit is able to replicate Christ's character in our life. And he uses all kinds of tools in our life to do that. Pain is probably one of the most well-known ones. He'll use that 
to challenge your patience or to challenge your love or to challenge your long-suffering. He'll use these things in our life to produce character that is not anything but Christ. So what does full maturity look like? Well, frankly, you've got to look at Jesus. And you know that, frankly, that, that, that is what God wants you to become like. So how do I do this? What is behind becoming like Jesus? How do I run a marathon to maturity? Because that's what it is. You're going to run this for the rest of your life. Every day that God graces you to walk with him in his grace, you are going to be on this marathon of maturing. You are not there yet. If you think you are, you better get back to square one where God is God and you're not. And then you'll start to understand. But sometimes we act like we're in this and that we are the ones that control all the maturing processes of our life. When I'm going to show you some things that are very necessary for you to actually be in touch with. And uh, then we're going to talk about something that doesn't get talked about, I don't believe enough in the Christian faith. But let me just say, when we come to discipleship, I've been used this before for you. There are basically three things that you're going to have to wrestle with in your life, and that is surrender, commitments, And then finally, accountability. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. He put them through the math of these three things. And then there's one more foundational thing I'll identify in just a moment. But I want to first just talk a little bit about something that uh, you might not be too aware of, and that's going to be the fear of God. You see, the fear of God is something that we don't talk about much today, largely because we don't understand it. We have no concept of really what that is. I mean, human language is very, very imperfect. And in fact, even since the, since the time probably of Babel, when, when different speech came upon each of the groups of people and, there was, and, and, and the difference that they could communicate now, they couldn't do it. One nation and another. It's not like, you know, you, you go between nations and you can't speak Italian or you can't speak over here. We have these things, these understandings that we don't share. The language in the English language has changed a lot. I could pull a lot of words and say, this is what this word used to mean. Today it's used in a totally different context. With the word fear, we have the same kind of thing. The confusion of the word fear is something that we don't quite get. We often think of fear only within one context or one meaning. And yet it has a wide range of meanings. And so when we talk about the fear of God, we are talking about something that has a wide range of understandings. There is a kind of fear. A fear of God that is good. And then there's a kind of fear that is not good. It indicates a bad position. There's a kind of fear which is to be shunned and avoided. There's a scripture that says that fear, that it's that fear which, which perfect love actually casts out. So perfect love will deal with this other kind of fear, this, this bad kind of fear, because this kind of fear has torment to it. But there's another sort of fear which has in it a very essence of love. In fact, those words, when you get to really understand the fear of God, end up meaning much the same thing to you. I love God. Because the greater the revelation of God and the capacity of your heart to receive that revelation, the causes you to respond to God in deeper love. So there's two tracks on fear we have to understand. One is a real deity struggle. It's my deity against God's deity. That's where I want to be God. That was the original temptation to Adam and Eve. You can be like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat this fruit. You can have the same type of thing. You don't need God. You can actually exist and be apart from him and do this, which was a big lie. But the idea behind it was that this attraction to be godlike 
Today, this is a massive issue amongst humankind. And it has been from our very beginning of existence. But there can only be one God. And that's why we have this word surrender up here. Because there is, a, there is something about us that has to come to some basic surrenders. And the basic surrender is a part where you and I have made a basic decision that says, God is God, and I frankly am not. You know these two fears? They hinge on your, how you see your own deity and how you see his. There is a fear of the slave where it's just this master-slave relationship and you are the one that's on the bad end of whatever the master wants. Then there's another position of fear, the fear of a child. Both of those have a great distinction between them. There's one has a fear of great God's great power and justice. Which, by the way, Satan and his kingdom fear. That's their fear. They know that day's coming. And all of those that do not advantage this beautiful gift of grace from, comes through Christ are going to stand one day uh, in front of a God that is a God of justice and holiness and absolute righteousness. That kind of fear has a torment to it. And that kind of fear is a torment that is something that can only be removed by the receiving of this perfect love. The love that comes through Jesus Christ. Even the demons that Jesus cast out said to him on more than one occasion, don't cast us out here. We don't want to go here. They had fear. They were afraid of Jesus because they understood that they aren't in the position of grace or mercy from God. And so it's that kind of fear that has nothing but torment to it. But the fear of a child is different. The fear of a child has more to do with their in wonder of how bountiful their, their Lord is and how good he is and how, how secure he makes them feel and how inexhaustible is his love. And so this fear is looking a whole lot more with the awe of a child to their father that says, my dad's the best. That's another track of fear. That's the fear of a Christian that looks more like love and awe. And that's the fear that you want to have at the base of your discipleship. And that takes surrender. And surrender is a term that most people only see in a negative. And yet we use it in a positive sense all of the time. Surrender is a good word in many, many applications. It is good that you surrender your interests to serve the ones you love. Would you agree with that? It is good that you surrender to the yellow and red light. Would you say that's a good thing? It is, it, you are surrendering. It is good for you to surrender to the truths that you know you must to have good, good results. Is it not good for us to have that kind of surrender? And yet, because through that surrender, we find a true sense of freedom. And so this kind of fear leads us to this sense of freedom that is very powerful. And that comes because we've surrendered. If you haven't surrendered and you're in a deity struggle, you stand in a different kind of fear because now you stand in a place of condemnation because of the justice and the holiness of God. It's Christ that makes all of the difference, not your efforts on changing that position. But to receive Christ has the surrender element in it. Let me read for you a scripture, a story actually, about Jesus calling, there's the word again, and Jesus calling some of his disciples. 
It says in Romans, or I'm sorry, in Matthew 4 and 18, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. Right there, we have the word surrender. He says, surrender. Follow me. Give it up. You see, that's what maturity needs is this followership this, that's based on simple obediences because we're in such awe of God. In fact, we're stunned by how great and good he is to us. Have you ever just sat and thought about of all the things you received in your life that you didn't deserve? Of all the ways that he has blessed your life? You may not even be a Christian, but you can look and see the blessings of God in your life. You can see that he's given you health or he has given you wealth. You started with nothing, but you've had the health and the strength and the opportunity and you were born in some pretty good circumstances to go and make something of this. This was a gracing of God. How good he has been to everyone. And that creates this incredible awe. So here he calls them and he says, follow me and I. Now who does the making? He does. We heard that in the song the lady sang. We heard it in the video that was played. And I will make you fishers of men. This is introducing us to a process. That he's got a lifelong maturing process. And he wants us to follow him. So it says they immediately left their nets. They made commitments. They surrendered, they made commitments, and they left their nets. For you to actually become mature in your Christian faith, you're going to do some leaving of things that are very, very comfortable to hang on to. It's never easy when we seek comfort or security to be a follower of Christ. In fact, he challenged us on the front end and said, hey, you consider the cost here. I mean, doesn't somebody's going to build a tower? Consider how much it's going to cost before they start in case they can't finish it. Are you going to go to war against another army? Don't you consider what you have first? You should be considering because of the cost. And so this follow me and then the commitments that we make to carry it out. Those are the two things that you and I bring. Let me continue on with another story. It goes again, he goes going on from there. He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Same words, same process. You're going to see it over and over again. You look at every call of every disciple, it's the very same thing. You've got to have a surrender. You've got to make commitments. You've got to pay the cost. And there needs to be accountability. And it's accountability is, that is something that's going to walk with you for the rest of your life too. Accountability is something that you and I have to bring. We, make the, 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 we have to do the surrender and the commitments. But we have to be willing to now accept a, a accountability within our life so that we can actually carry out what we've been called to do. Now, another scripture I want to read in this. It says they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. So they even it was leaving their father, the, the family business, it was over. And he said to themselves in Matthew 4 and 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You want to come follow me? Follow. Okay? And you want to do that? Then you're going to need to make commitments. You're going to have to deny. What do you got to deny? Well, he's very plain here. He says, let him deny himself. The self-centered lifestyle is a lifestyle that cannot achieve followership. And it's hurting our maturity when we choose to honor it 
And our commitments is where we measure this. We measure this in the commitments that we make. We measure it into the commitment that we have to truth and our pursuit of it, our learning of it, our application of it, our surrender to it. Our commitment's made because we do surrender to it. And then the willingness to be accountable because we have made commitments. Commitments without accountability have no meaning. So now we have this pattern repeated again and again. And he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Accountability. You got to take it up daily. This isn't like, oh, one time I got it right. There's a math. There's the equation. Check, 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 check. This is like sometimes many times a day you're wrestling with one of these three things in something. In relational world, we wrestle it a lot with, you know, our obedience to what we know is right. So we need to sometimes surrender our, our right to be right. Have you ever had to surrender your right to be right in a, in a, in a marriage or a relationship? I surrender the right to be right. You'd shock your mate if you said that to them. They'd say, I don't believe you. You always have to be right. I'm quoting my wife. I hate honest moments. Have you, yeah. There you go. Deny. Then you're going to have to deny because your self-interests are going to not be obedient to your commitment. You've made a commitment to live a good, intimate, strong relationship. Maybe it's with a brother or a sister or a sibling, mother, dad, child. Uh, maybe it's with somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody in this room. It really doesn't matter. You are under a commitment that says, I want to live a life that is God-honoring. I want to be mature. I want to be a mature Christian. Well, you cannot even get there without these wrestles on a daily basis. And then accountability is something that we have a hard time with because we really want freedom. Freedom to serve self-centeredness. Freedom to serve my interests and then whatever's left, I'll apply to the bigger picture. Do you recognize this in your relational world? It's really easy for us to try and retain the freedom to serve self-interest so that we, in the end, can have security or, or safety or control, a huge word, because that's the deity word, the wrestle, or have control. So this kind of thing has to be constantly under challenge for us to continue to grow. You find it as he walked with Peter. I love Peter because Peter, boy, he didn't know it was going to happen when he said yes to the Lord that day, dropped his nets and followed. But he was going to become the poster child for the processes of maturity. So now his life is so well known. I, I don't know about you, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't have me in the Bible as the poster child of maturity. Because then... You have to see all my junk. And Peter, we got to see all his junk. And we got to see all of the challenges that he had to go through and the heart-wrenching moment in which he realized he wasn't even strong enough to stand up before a waitress to say, I'm a follower of his. What a rude awakening moment that was. And yet at that moment, Peter was having more maturity put into him than at any other moment to that time. That needed to go. It was a wrestle that needed to happen. He needed to lose. Amen. He had told Jesus hours earlier, I'll not do it. Jesus said, you're going to do it. You're going to deny me three times, Peter, before the cock crows twice in the morning. So you're going to do this, man. No, not me. Hey, Then he goes and does this. These others might... But I'll never do it. How many times have you tried to talk yourself into never doing something? I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. Have you, anybody ever say that to themselves? Okay, I'll raise this for you. Okay. 
That's only because I can't get my two feet in the air at the same time either. It's, I'll never do it again. And Jesus said, yeah, you will. You're going to do it. But here's the deal. Let it show you something about your surrender, your commitment, your accountability, and this underlying factor which is so incredibly important for the believer to grow is this healthy fear of God. You're not fearing the judgment of God to heaven or hell. You're fearing God in the sense of I am absolutely in absolute awe of this God. Everything I see around me and I get these revelations of how great and how big he is. I get these Job experiences when God cornered Job and said, hey Job, were you there when I formed the world, when I set it on its foundations? Were you there when I said seas, you can go this far and no further? Were you there, Job, when I put in place all of these things? And Job, after a couple chapters of God laying it on thick about Job, were you there? Job finally says, I'm not saying anything more. He got to the point where he was so struck in awe that in his pain he had no more case to bring to God but to say how magnificent he is. That's fear of God. That's the right kind. And that's what you want to have below this. In fact, you cannot do these things without this. It is to the level that you have this awe of who he is and that he graces you every day with his blessings and his presence. And he blesses you with the gifts he's given, the opportunities you have, that everything comes from his hand, that even your next breaths are his and owned by him. And when you have these kinds of revelations, you stand in a place with God where it's, my gosh, who am I? that you would do this? Who am I that you would bless me like this? Now you're getting the fear of God. That's what you want. Just blows you out of the water. You know that, this particular scripture where he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's recorded in three of the gospels exactly like this. Because he's getting the point across. Another one is found in Acts that I want to bring your attention to. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, these are very educated men. They're doing an evaluation. There's been a man that got healed. He was over 40 years old. So everybody knew him. He sat at the gate beautiful in the temple. Jesus walked by him many, many times. Never, ever healed him. No, this was for this special day and moment. And then this man, by the command of Peter and John, rose from his feet. When Peter said, look, silver and gold I don't have, because that's what he was begging for. Uh, Support me, help me, you know. And every day he was at the gate beautiful, this lame man. He never walked on his legs. He's, He's over 40. Everybody's walk by him so often it, they, 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 know, they know him so well they've watched him age you know all the way through they've given him support they've done it and there he stands on this day when Peter says silver and gold we don't have we can't give you that but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus rise up and walk that was his moment his time that man got healed and it caused a huge uproar because everybody knew him. It was undeniable, this miracle. Even these guys, these power, these power mongers who were actually in charge of the religious sects of those days were actually, couldn't deny the amazing miracle because they knew that all the people knew this guy. And so here's the situation, is that they have, God has used them to lift up the name of Jesus and further the gospel, and the mission continues, but now they're in trouble with the religious elites, but they don't know what to do with them. They say, these are uneducated, untrained men. More or less, 
they should be no obstacle for us. They, they shouldn't even be a barrier. I mean, what are, they have no qualifications. They don't have any of the content that we usually measure to see how much we should pay attention to them. And now we have them performing a miracle like this. And the only thing they could say about it was, these are uneducated, untrained men, but we do know they've been with Jesus. What were they doing? What were they actually saying? They were saying they are not disciples of the world system that puts so much things on natural knowledge. They're saying they don't have the degrees of natural knowledge. But they've obviously been with Jesus. When, when, when people are saying that about you, you're showing some maturity. You're showing that you're a disciple and that you're serious about your growth and there's some maturity. You are doing some following. You're doing some denying. Because that's the hard work of growth. Surrender. Commitments. Accountability. Challenge. If you don't have challengers in your life, you're probably lacking in pretty good accountability. If nobody's there to question, to ask, if nobody's there for you to go to and say, what do you think? If nobody's there to actually help you to achieve denying my self-centeredness, following him totally, if nobody's there to help these two functions, these two functions will fail you very quickly and very deeply. Because we are wired for accountability. And we have to understand that the greatest accountability is one day we will stand before God. All accountability starts with God. Jesus was held accountable by the Father. He expresses that in his prayer in the garden. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's accountability. If Jesus needed accountability, so do you. And he's wired that into us. And if we don't honor that, then we want to stay in our own little cubicles that keep us here and just talk these things or perform them where comfort is high enough or where we have enough control. Fear of God, though, causes you to put in accountability. Oh my gosh, I'm in so much awe of you, Lord. How you've blessed me. I just see your greatness. I'm stunned when I see it in nature and it reminds me of how great and big you are. Oh my gosh, how great thou art. How great thou art. Do you understand what moved these people who wrote these hymns? Oh, magnificent you are. When we allow accountability into our life and we welcome it, in fact, we search it out, we are going to do way better in these categories of following and denying ourselves so that we can be surrendered, live out our commitments, that we know are right. Sometimes I believe accountability is just simple things, the most simple things. Did you read your Bible much this week? Did the scriptures that you did read, did they impact you with the sense of who's speaking? Did the truth of, uh, 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 and the source of that truth kind of cause you to, in a humbleness, say, oh my, Lord, I see me in this page. I see you in this page. What is it that keeps you from the habits that are behind lived out commitments? Commitments. 
I know what it is. It's a lack of the fear of God. In our day and age, you can so escape this. We can be numbed into so many different pursuits and so many things to eat up the capacity of our life to just function in a God knowledge or to function with others in God pursuits. I mean, we can have so many things canceling out the healthy things of our life. And it's not like they're totally unhealthy things. They're just, it's always just the binge living of this world. Whatever we do, it's usually in a binge and it's meant to take out the good stuff that can be there. So what do you do? I'm going to give you quickly eight tools. You ready? You can write them real fast. Here's what this kind of accountability and this fear of God will lead you to. If you want to truly live a surrendered life and get out of the deity fight with God, finally make that. Dear God, I'm not. If you want to get there, you want that kind of surrender so that your followership is, I'm leaving the nets, I'm going, and I'm going to do this daily. Take up my cross. I'm going to do that daily. Commitments, deny. I'm going to deny myself. Take up the cross. I'm denying self-centered. I'm not going to, I'm not going to medicate through self-centeredness because this is the medication. Medication is anything that starts without a fear of God, goes into a freedom of will to choose self-centeredness to make me feel better so that I have within me a sense of some kind of meaning or security or comfort you could put anything in there this whole culture is self-medicating when you start with the fear of God now you can do this you can't do it without it so here we go here's the tools that you use number one simplify my life simplify my life your life was probably way too complex would anybody agree that their life is way too complex Okay, nobody's raising hands, but I heard. Your life is way too complex from not just having too many things on the plate, but you've got the importance, the priority of things turned upside down, which creates another set of complexities. So it's not, you might only, you might have 10 things on the list, but if you get them all in kind of skewed order, you got a lot of complexity. Because now you have to be in control and manage. And whenever you need to be in control, that is where you cannot follow. And you're going to have a problem with surrender. So you need to simplify your life. If God is truly God, he says, why would you worry? Don't be anxious. Be joyful at all times. Rejoice at all times. I say it again, rejoice. How? How? Simplify my life. There's a scripture in Hebrews 12 on let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. And I'm just going to stop it right there, time's sake. Do you know of a marathon runner that is going to carry rocks? Nobody's serious about hitting a finish line, packs weight. Simplify your life. Second, don't get impatient or in a hurry. Oh my, you're going to be driving soon. <laughs> Don't get impatient or in a hurry. Hard one. This is really tough. Remember I said these are not easy. But these are fruit of the Spirit too when you really look at it. And so next, spend the time focusing on Jesus every day. I th- well, maybe I do that, do you? What part of the day do you take? Or are you just sort of like, I'm focusing on you, Jesus, because I really got myself in a great big mess. That's okay. When you get yourself in messes, please focus on Jesus. But this is more the discipline of just getting out of bed, and the first thing you're dealing with is my focus. which is focus on Jesus. I have a certain routine pretty much every morning. My, my routine goes something like this. When I get up, usually quite, quite early, I have a chair I like to go sit in and I'm just going to be quiet. 
I'll pull up my computer, which is where I read my scriptures from, and I'll just take a moment and get my focus. Sometimes that goes long. Sometimes that goes short. But on the days I try to get, get, go on without doing that point, it really doesn't go as well. I mean that. Because focus is everything. If I focus on Jesus, I've set a lens for the day. It's like putting on glasses. Now I'm going to see everything else through that focus. This is not a little thing. You got to do it every day and get it in a certain spot. Find a spot, a certain time, do it. Four, when life gets hard, remember the reward. That's really important. That's important in anything. Is that the reward for cost paid is a motivator for us. It's behind saving. It's behind controlling spending. It's behind building a good business. It's behind building great lives in great marriages and families. It is something that says when it gets hard, because it will get hard. You remember the reward. Oftentimes I've described this with some people in a counseling setting or whatever, where it's sort of like, you know, we all love the ocean when the waves are just kind of nice and comfortable and the sun is shining, you stand in the surf zone and the waves are just kind of breaking over and the water's 90 degrees and, you know, it's clear, it's beautiful. And anybody not like that? Is there anybody weird here today? But how many know that that is not always the condition of the ocean? That's not always a condition in a relationship either. It's not always a condition in your finances either. It's not always a condition in the way your business runs. It's not always a condition in the way that your health is. It's not always that condition. In fact, sometimes there's some really big waves that are coming in. And if you don't learn how to handle waves, if you, you do that, you're going to be exiting ocean all the time. You get out. You run. You break your connect commitments. You break the commitment. You break the followership. Number five, gather a team to run with me. We said this over and over because it's a principle that abides true. Jesus called 12 guys. 11 made it. That's encouraging to me, by the way. That one didn't. You have to always gather a team to run. It's, it's in sports uh, when, it, when it's in the athletic department all of the time. You're either running behind other runners to break the wind so that you're not running against all of the resistance that the lead runner is or if you're on bike or no matter what is a race, you're always looking to break the resistance. Breaking the resistance can only happen with team. Without team, you're getting full resistance for the whole journey and you wonder why you're tired, exhausted and don't make it. You got no resistance breakers. You can't change out the lead. And you take it now, you take it now, you take it now. So you're not running against these other runners, you're running with them. Amen. You need this. And the more you deny it, if you continue to deny it, you have a problem with surrender. And thereby you have a problem with commitments. Your commitments to Christ's body sustain strength in you so that you get some resistance broken in your life and you're not taking it full on without running with a team. We've walked with people through things all of the time. Most recently, it just had different tragedies happen and, and, and the people that have gone through the, as, have always usually said something like this the more recently they have too I don't know how you do it without Jesus or without people that are there well you do it but you run out of gas number six remember God is cheering me at every stage once you get the healthy fear of God you never you don't worry about judgment 
You're only like, how do I, how do I honor this God? I can't believe how he's blessed me. I, this amazing almighty God that made everything, that astounds me with his pictures and creation, that astounds me with revelations of himself, that, that how good he is and blessed me and carried me all the way through life to this point and, and given me such opportunity and not without challenge, but the fact is that he is the one that gave me all of these opportunities and blessed me with these gifts and I'm standing here this day and how can I deny my need of this God? So I need to actually, how do I honor this God? You honor this God by understanding that he is cheering you at every stage of life that he is taking you through saying, stay in the game. Don't leave the water. You keep fighting. You stay exactly where you are and you honor your surrender to me. You trust me because that's what surrender is. You trust me. You honor your commitments. You deny the fears right now that are wrong and want to take you out of, the, out of the game. And you honor and have a fear of me in my awesomeness to protect, be with, lead, guide, and walk with you each and every day because this day doesn't surprise me. I have already prepared for you what you need. He's cheering you all of the time. Number seven, take every step with purpose. Every step with purpose. He says this in 1 Corinthians, Paul does, 9, 25, 26. I'm just going to read the one sentence. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. He's saying, I'm going for the eternal prize. I'm living for my God. I, he, he blows me out of the water. I'm stunned that he would even call me. I'm stunned that he would use me in this way. I'm stunned that he would bless me with what I've been blessed with. I'm just going to run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. And then this final one of that, he says, I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. I'm serious about life. Number eight, because it's a process in a marathon, you got to have number eight. If it was just a hundred yard dash, that was my day, 110 meter, the hundred meter, you know, look, if it was just that, then it's all on you. But this is a marathon. Realize what I don't finish, God will. Because he's walking with you right through to the end. And it's only by grace you are, who you are, where you are, when, at the time that you are. It's all by grace. It's all been gifted to you because he's such an awesome God. And his love towards you is unfathomable. You've been called to be loved by him. You've been called to belong to his church, his body, his bride, his family. And you have been called to become like him. Can you believe this? And he does all of the work on all of them. And in the end, he just says, you know, if you give me this followership, you're willing to deny your self-centeredness. You're willing to have and welcome and seek out challenge in your life. Because of the fear of God, I will tell you this. I will finish what I started. Listen to the scripture in Philippians 1, 6. I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. More or less when everything else is done, that's when you walk into the finished you. And you know who's going to get the glory for it? Jesus. Because he's the one that finishes you. He's the one that carries you. He's the one that does this. Just one more thing to close. Most of the time we think that this thing flows this way. Surrender to commitments, to accountability, to then the fear of God. Actually, the flow is reversed. flow goes this way. Because you can't follow without denying yourself. And you won't deny yourself 
unless first you accept that your life needs to be one that is under constant challenge and support. And you will never open yourself up to this without having a healthy fear of God. Now there are some of you here that may not have received Christ as your Savior. Your fear of God is one that is a fear of standing before a just and holy God one day and you don't change the math on this. You don't deserve to be there uh, in, in the sense of grace in heaven. Uh, God can only bring grace to you. You are not on your own works. You need to have, yes, a fear of God that says, my gosh, he is a judge. God will set things right. And they're set right only in one of two ways. Either it's set right by Jesus dying on the cross, taking all of the stuff that needed to be set right that I did, and paying my price with his own death, and then through his sacrifice, me receiving by grace this mercy, sins forgiven, righteousness given, undeserved. Or it's set right by you without Christ standing before him. And you're going to stand there with a fear of God that's different than the fear of God I've talked mainly about today. You do not want to stand before this holy, just God without Jesus having paid for your sins and you have received that. So I'd encourage you to give your lives to Christ. Surrender. Make the commitments. Come under accountability for the way that your life is managed, especially just from when you're in your own relationship with truth. And start to do what you know would be God-honoring. Change your life by changing who you're serving. Accept Jesus and serve him. But let me finish towards Christians. It's really easy for us to move outside of this. If this has gotten somehow weak in your life, this fear of God, who he is, who he is. God who in all of his great glory deigned to look upon us, to come amongst us, live amongst us, die for us. Do not ever forget this is the God who made everything. And he made you. So Christian, if this gets weak, understand this is going to corrupt the process going up. Your followership will not be what it should be. Your denial will not be what it should be. And your challenge, well, you kind of rooted that out. And I don't want any challenge. I hide from challenge. I'm glad you're here today. It tells me you're not much of a hider. Or if you're trying, you're not very good at it. So I encourage you as a believer. Let the becoming happen. Get a fresh fear of God. And when you have that fresh fear of God, then surrender, commitments, and accountability become really important to you. And when that becomes important to you, now when you work the tools, and I'm going to simplify my life, why would I do that? It's hard. It's hard to leave things. It's hard to leave nets behind. It's really hard to leave business, to leave dad in the business. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Oh, not when you fear God. That's where the problem is. Would you stand with me, please? Father, when we hear difficult messages that kind of cut to who we are in the core and expose processes that we recognize that are barriers to even our own maturity of faith and walk with you, it's really easy for us to slip into a denial really quickly, but the wrong kind of denial where we just want to deny the truth rather than deny our self-interest or our pride. Father, I pray in these few moments of closing prayer that whether it's online or whether it's Lord in this room, that right now there would just be a real fresh type of fear of God. That we are reminded 
that every breath and every step we are going to take in this life, it is God-ordained and it is God-breathed. And that, Lord, you are the source of all things. And that only leaves us with humility, which is the friend of a healthy fear of God. Father, remind us where we have forgotten who you are, where we have not bowed the knee with a deep sense of humility or deep sense of wonder at this God who would grace us with himself. And Lord, I pray out of that fear of God being restored in our life that there would come this great sense of, oh Lord, I got to get serious about growth. I need to buddy up. I need challenging. I need to have people in my life that are challenging me. I need, Lord, to be denying self-centeredness because it's really subtle. It can take right over and it really stinks, God. And, and Lord, I, I can pursue that security and control of my own self and I can have a deity battle with you for the rest of my life if I choose to, but what a waste. I don't want that. Step out of the deity battle. Because God, you're God. And I'm not. Thank you that you're working at making me become like your son, Jesus. In Christ's name I pray. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.